Mars Investigated, a podcast that explores the neo-noir and teen drama that's aired on three networks and has a fan-funded film. On each episode, we will discuss one season or film, where appropriate, of Veronica Mars. We will not spoil events from future seasons. This month, we are taking a look at season three of Veronica Mars. My name is Jerome Cusan. I am one of the co-hosts, and I've seen all four seasons and the movie. You can follow me on Twitter at JeromeC1985. We are part of the Real World Podcasting Network, a network that also includes Superhero Pantheon, another podcast I host. There will be movies hosted by Ben Phillips and Matt Waters, and from the archives from Broadcast Depth, with which Kevin Ford co-hosted. Please leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, so as to help people discover the great work that we are doing here. My co-host is Kevin Ford. He has seen the first three seasons and the film. Please, again, do not spoil the fourth season on his Twitter account, at k 413 or he will block you. Kevin, it is unbelievable. We are on season three, and you, are you number one, have still not seen season four. Number two, have not been spoiled on any element of season four. It is both fortunate and unfortunate that I don't have that many people directly in my life that watch Veronica Mars that are able to spoil it for me. The other, it's really three. You're the only one who's seen the fourth season, so I'm still in pretty safe space. But I do have a pretty quick mute or block trigger button on Twitter. So, yes, do not spoil. Right. That's why I keep throwing this warning out there, because people may assume. I mean, there was even a Veronica Mars account that followed us both. And I very quickly went out of my way to warn you not to look at it because of the fact that they literally spoiled elements of season four and like the first five tweets that I saw. Yeah, and they're great. I mean, I, I tweeted about our podcast from the at Lost Pod Twitter account, and they were very kind to to share it and follow and all that stuff. And it reached uh, another actor on the show, which was a pretty wonderful thing. Now, you pointed this out, so I'm going to let you just tell the people who exactly retweeted our podcast. Yeah, so I like well, you, like you immediately told me, hey, this account that it's probably followed you, don't read it because it's spoiled. But I will occasionally go in our tweets and just see, you know, every so often what the, what the traction is, if it has any comments or uh, likes and stuff. And I noticed uh, one Mr. Francis Capra, uh, who plays Weevil on Veronica Mars, at least favorited the tweet. Don't know if he's listening. Don't know if he bothered to. But uh, thank you very much, Mr. Capper. We're both big fans of your work. Wish you were in uh, season three a little bit more. Yes. And this is not just because you said anything or favorited us, but legitimately, I think I think Weevil is is a character that has always gotten short shrift on this show. And it seemed like they were going in a really positive direction with him again this season. I mean, this is kind of what they do with Weevil. They start him off kind of he's down in the dumps, they build him back up, and then they kind of tear him down. And this is a pattern that we are also going to see in in future in the future movie as well. But what we first have to talk about is the fact that Veronica Mars, despite being incredibly low rated, somehow got a renewal, not to, the, not to UPN, UPN is now gone, and they have gone to the CW. Kevin, there is still one show from that transition still airing as they went from the WB and UPN to the CW. Can you name that show? Is it Fox's newest $1 billion acquisition, WWE SmackDown? That is incorrect. Oh, no. I, I'm saying I'm saying airing still on the CW. That's what I meant. I should have been more should have been more technical on that. I see it. Is it is it is it still a scripted show or is it like a talk show or a reality show? It is a scripted show. 
Hmm. I'm not going to be able to get it. Let, let me know. Supernatural, a show that, despite the fact that it has over 220 episodes at this point, I have not seen a single minute of it. I have not either, but I do know from at least a couple people who through like, you know, friend of a friend or like a friend of a husband of a wife or something who have been fans of it. And that gave me a glimpse into the, the fandom of that show. And it's a it's a it's a pretty loyal and uh, fervent fandom that that show has. And it's 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 just one of those things where once you learn about it, you're like, how did I go my entire life not even knowing about this when you see the large community that's out there? But, yeah, I couldn't tell you one thing about Supernatural. I mean, it is remarkable to think that Veronica Mars has had three networks, a fan-funded movie, books, and they've gone through all of these different transitions. Kristen Bell has been on three different television shows at this point, and Supernatural has just perpetually airing at this point. But let's talk about kind of how Veronica Mars made the shift to the CW. So what you see is you see a lot less continuity from episode to episode as there are kind of three plot lines, one that kind of took the first half and then the other two kind of took up the second half. And what I think you see is you see a lot more drama in the relationships. I think that this becomes much more of a soap opera than something that is kind of talking about class warfare, which they kind of lightly address on. but they don't really do as much of a good job of addressing the class issues that are still plaguing Neptune. And I think that is a clear response to what the network wanted. And I think representative of that soap opera, part of it is the fact that Logan and Veronica's relationship seems to take up a lot more airtime, the will they or won't they, breaking up, coming back together, being friends, not wanting him in his in her life. There's just a lot of that going on in this season. Yeah, and to be honest, I think that kind of speaks to the shift from high school to college, too. Like, I, uh, when you're in college, I feel like things are more on even footing than they are in high school, where I think that class, that class split is a lot more apparent than it is when you are in college. Um, and I also, a couple of things, I watched a few of the, the special features, on the season three DVD. So a lot of what I'm going to bring is what Rob Thomas said too. And his two notes about the transition, both from network, both from the one network to the other and from going from high school to, uh, to college was that you notice there's a a change in the intro as well. Uh, not only is there more people added to it, but he, when, when they were on the WB, they very much wanted the show to be marketed more as like a high school show than, than a noir. Which is why you have the like the notebook paper sort of aesthetic in the opening credits of season one and two with each of the actors' names, and that's gone in this one. And it is it does feel more noir dri- driven, but they didn't want to get rid of the Dandy Warhol's theme song. How could you get rid of it? It's it's so beloved. Would have been a mistake. But but uh, Rob Thomas did want to do a remix to make it sound more appropriate for the, the that, and they went to the Dandy Warhols, and not only did they approve, but they brought them to the musicians who ended up remixing. We used to be friends to give you a, a, a more different vibe to the opening of the show. Um, and I do think it is far more fitting for the vibe you do get in uh, in Veronica Mars season three. Yes. And again, I think this definitely relates to kind of the feeling of more of a soap opera, more of the, the CW. And I think when it comes to shows on the CW, I think Veronica Mars was always going to be a, a tough fit because again, so much more of the focus is on the relationships. And this is also something that I think 
is also a byproduct of going to the CW is you get characters making some really poor and stupid decisions. And I think this is kind of the running theme as Kevin and I were texting each other back and forth, talking about season three. There are a lot of really dumb decisions that get made. And I'm actually going to start with Wallace here because Wallace somehow gets even less to do than he did in seasons one and two. And in a lot of ways feels even less involved. We see him literally cheat on a test and make the decision to cheat on a test so he can maintain his engineering major and still be a part of the basketball team. And this is this is supposed to be a, a really big deal. But but for me, like one of the issues that, that comes up with this is the fact that, you know, we are supposed to be rooting for Wallace and the fact of the matter is, is that he makes this decision and especially for viewers who may be unfamiliar with Wallace. I think this is this would be very tough for them to kind of process because he's doing this. And this comes off of the heels of an episode where they are kind of reenacting the Stanford Prison Project. And Wallace pretty much lets Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World just be a terrible person to Sam Levine from Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, he'll, he'll occasionally be like, come on, man, and like try to get him to lighten up. But that's that's really it. There is there it, there could have been much more involvement from from Wallace, who essentially becomes a character of convenience more than anything in this season. Like the basketball stuff is pretty much gone right away. The cheating stuff only lasts a couple of episodes. And then it's really just when Veronica needs a character to talk to that happens to be a male. Here's Wallace to put him in to, to, to fill that slot. But yeah, there's, there's just not much of substance until um, the one episode where he signs up to, he he's going like he signs up to go to Africa for the summer, I think. Yeah, that that is what he did based off of what I think is the best episode of the season. I know what you'll do next summer. Yeah. And that and that I believe um, Rob Thomas also agreed is probably one of the best, uh, not only the best episode of the season, but one of the best episodes of the series uh, is that episode. So so that is something where you, you do get a lot of like, what are people going to be doing during the summer of college here? And that's at least Wallace is at least leaving on a pretty noble note for the season. So that's at least one positive. Definitely. And we can talk a little bit more about Logan and Veronica in just a second, but Wallace is also a convenient character to have around because perhaps the most important new character that is introduced is Piz. And I think that a lot of people are going to recognize him from glow at this point, but this is kind of where he got his start on this CW show, and he there's an immediate flirtation with Veronica that is teased right away. He is Wallace's roommate, and he doesn't really make a lot of terrible decisions. He seems to be a, a pretty good guy who hosts a radio show, so at least they seem to do well by him. Yeah, and this... I don't remember if I read or heard this, but I think they wanted to program Veronica's other boyfriend to be a more normal, uh, just like a normal guy. Like he's not another rich boy from from Neptune, which has kind of been all of the other people that she's been with in seasons one and two. This is a more college-aged, more of your your classic college-type student than than all the other people she's been with in the past. So there was definitely like a, a, a this, this move to, to change the type of people she would be with that weren't Logan in the, in this season. But also, like, they call him Piz because that's his last name. But his first name, his Christian name is Stosh. What kind of name does this kid have that his name is Stosh? I've never heard that first name in my life. 
That is very Polish. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. Uh, so, and yeah, he's definitely, he's a breath of fresh air. I think he does bring a lot of levity and some, and some really good moments to the show. But again, he's somebody who, by the end of the season, I find him to, there, there's a, a very selfish quality to his relationship with Veronica that I find very off-putting. Okay, and as we get into kind of their relationship, perhaps that's something we can dive into. We get Mac added to the opening credits. That's a that's a positive thing. And then she proceeds to not be in like five of the first six episodes. But eventually she does find herself a part of the main cast and is part of two relationships, one of which does not work out and one of which with Max. Max is not a good character. He is literally committing academic fraud. <laughs> he's not good in that respect, but there are a lot of positive qualities to him in, in the episodes he's featured in. But it is a very, very odd character that toes this line of morality. I'm not going to lie. Maybe maybe it is because I am I am a professor, an instructor in, in a university. But like the idea of Max being able to get away with this, I just find to be utterly repulsive. The other issue that I that I that I have is that if he is able to get access to these tests, maybe it's the, also the professor's responsibilities to change the fucking tests. I also feel like this would be significantly more difficult to get away with when you live on campus. Yes, I also think that's true. And it's and it's also difficult if you are doing essay exams as opposed to every professor at Hearst who seemingly is either doing Scantron or multiple choice. Yeah, you'd think they'd, they'd fix that if, if cheating were such a problem. But Hearst has so many problems, Kevin, and maybe that's something we should get into because, well, of course... Well, there is, well, well, there is one... There is something that was a, a completely deleted storyline from Season 3 involving Mac and relationships... And I will say after hearing it, I'm so glad they went the way they did because there was there was discussion of having her essentially enter season three as damaged goods because of the incident at the end of season two um, with Cassidy. Like, yeah, and, and that from from a standpoint of logic, that makes sense. She's dating this guy who she's really into and she thinks she's going to lose her virginity on prom night with him in the hotel room. And he ends up leaving her naked, stealing all her clothes and then killing himself. You can you can expect that to be pretty traumatizing, but this is something that they had thought about having damage her trust in other men, maybe even leading to like a relationship with a professor or something like that. Just being like kind of this screwed up college girl in this way. And then they really thought about it and they said, you know what, Mac really just deserves something nice. So we're just not going to do that storyline. And there's even a couple deleted scenes where like you see Wallace and her in a class together and he observes some of her behavior and starts worrying about her. But that is something that like when you watch those scenes, it's not even like you feel for Mac or you hope she gets better or you're rooting for her. They're uncomfortable in the way that you don't want to watch the show anymore. And I think that is such a delicate thing that there's very few ways you can take that route and not come. And and it, it would be really hard to see that as a positive and not mishandle it. And so I'm glad they just decided, you know what? Forget all that. It's a little too heavy-handed. Let's have Mac and some positive relationships after coming out of that. And I'm really glad they made that decision. Well, and again, I think this comes back to the idea of since they are going to the CW, we are kind of doing a soft reboot. There are not as many references to what has happened in previous seasons. The Canes only get lightly touched on toward the, the end of the season. And 
We barely even get a lot of mentions of Cassidy and what happened at the end of season two. Veronica certainly does bring up her assaults at, at times, and that is directly related to the, the main plot line which, of the first half, which is the rape case, which we will get into. But I think in, in the way that they did some of their characters in Justice, if they had done that to Mac, I think that would have been really difficult, and I think it would have made Mac just come off as, as being very unlikable. And I think if we are also talking about kind of the new aspects to the season. I think we have to talk about Hearst College as they are transitioning away from high school and into living on a university. And I I have to be honest in saying, based on what I saw in this season, why would anyone ever go to Hearst? There are murders. There is a rapist. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. There's a reenactment of the Stanford Prison Project that goes south. Kevin, why would you ever send your child to Hearst College? I, that I could not answer. And it's not as if the serial rapist thing is new. I mean, this when Veronica and Wallace visited Hearst College, this happened at a party they attended. And they still chose. Well, that's another thing they don't really address. I mean, maybe they do in passing or you can kind of get it from context. But like Veronica went from a lifelong dream of going to Stanford and getting into Stanford. And then she goes to Hearst. And they don't really expound on that enough or even give what I feel would be like a solid enough explanation for this. Cause she seems there's no like her being forlorn about missing out on her dream college or anything like this. She just goes there and that's that. And it's, it's a little, it's a little odd. And maybe that does speak to the soft reboot thing, but it was such like a huge thing for the, both the first two seasons. Like my dream is to go to this college. I saved up my money. Then I lost it. Cause I took a gamble on my mother and lost. And now I'm working this other job to try to go back there. And then poof, it's gone. Uh, But yeah, going to Hearst seems like the worst decision. If you can't even afford any other colleges, just don't go to Hearst. Go, go, Go to community college or just don't go to college. Right, and the the only reference that we gotta get kind of get to what happened in season two with Veronica and Keith is Keith did sort of abandon her daughter in New York. He came three days late, which I'm not quite sure how the mechanics work. But Veronica got a brand new car out of it, so I guess that's not a bad thing. Ah, and isn't that a nice uh, explanation for why she has a vehicle she's able to drive around freely in this season too? That is extremely helpful. Ah, uh, not nearly enough backup though. I will say. No, God, and I and that's another thing. It's like she's still living at home, which when I went to college, like freshmen had to live on campus. They don't really address that. I guess there's different rules and, you know, there's finance stuff. But either way, she's home enough times where there could have been more backup there. And there was like w- like no backup in season two. There's at least more of it in season three. But yes, still not enough. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that thing about freshmen living on campus. I mean, the university I work at, only 10% of the students actually live on campus. Yeah, and that's and that's interesting. Like, uh, you know, there's a university that's local to where I am where it used to be solely a commuter campus. And now, over the years, it's developed into, I think, having the most freshman housing of any public university in the, in the Commonwealth. So is that similar? Is your university more commuter than it is people living on campus in general it is it is way more commuter there are people generally take 20 to 30 minutes to get to school every day and i mean they just built a new parking garage for god's sake so it means that more and more people are coming to the university and from what i understand it's not a good idea to live on some of the campuses because black mold has been found which it's not as bad as some of what happens at hearst but i don't think you want to stay at a dorm with black mold yeah, and I don't. Black Mole just wouldn't have made that compelling of an episode of Veronica Mars. Let's be honest. 
No, I mean that's I mean unless we're going into a contagion, then that's definitely a possibility. Well, there was a monkey in an episode, so perhaps Breakout was going to be replayed in Veronica Mars. Who knows? Yes. All right. We I think we should talk about Parker. She is one of the other new cast members, new aspects to the season, and. I don't know what it is with Rob Thomas and blondes that are not named Veronica Mars. He loves putting blondes through very traumatic events. This is something that was kind of covered with Lily Kane in season one. Megan season two kind of tragically dies because of a bus accident. And Parker is yet another victim of, of the rapist. And we see her having to wear wigs and whatnot. And she does get a little bit of character development and eventually becomes connected with Logan. But again, we, this is a case where we are taking this, this young blonde woman and putting her through something traumatic. Yeah. And I, I think it says something where she, she will like feels less developed and well-rounded than a dead character from the first season. And and even less than Meg in season two, she's, you know, a pretty like a lot of her character, I feel like, is very on the surface. There isn't a ton of depth to Parker, and she's pretty much there to 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 get raped, have parents who are jerks and then date Logan for a little bit. And that's really what her character amounts to in season three. Uh, definitely did not leave the the. In, in some respects, I forgot about her when I rewatched this. Like I knew, I knew of of Max's roommate, but like couldn't have told you her name or what a lot of what she does. But I remembered Piz very well, and rewatching the season, I could see why. Yeah, I mean, I literally saw her name in the opening credits of the first episode. I was like, huh? <laughs> so that is uh, that is a definite thing that happened. And uh, I think we we talk about terrible decisions. I think we have to talk about Keith also making some terrible decisions, both at the beginning and the end of the season, as he becomes involved with a married woman, which on the surface is not a, a bad thing. This is something that kind of, it happens, but I think the unfortunate reality is, is that we've kind of held up Keith as this model of morality, and he be, her, him becoming involved with Harmony Chase. Harmony Chase is played by Laura San Giacomo. That was his co-star on the hit sitcom up from NBC, Just Shoot Me. So we got that reunion going on, Kevin. Yeah, I really like seeing her in the show and seeing the two of them play together. And it's it's it, when you watch their interplay on television, it's pretty obvious they have a history because they are an incredibly likable couple. And it is one of those tough things as a fan to reconcile because you understand where Keith is coming from and you understand where Veronica is coming from. but you And you just want Veronica and Keith to get along again. Because I think... There's no arguing that the most popular dynamic in Veronica Mars is that between Keith and Veronica. And I think and, and I think you can even see from how much uh, you, we talk about how much more Veronica Logan there is this season. I have to say there's probably some demand for that from fans, too. But I think that's only second to Veronica and Keith here as well. And ultimately, he does make the choice, like the hard choice to to abandon Harmony to get with Veronica. And uh, in some ways, you could see that as kind of a... Uh, a, a poor move of Veronica or however else. But um, in some ways I like that Keith got to not be this beacon of, of uh, you know, the, this, uh, this standard that we can hold him up to. Cause even in the first few episodes with what goes on with um, charisma carpenter, that wasn't necessarily the best choice for, for Keith to make either. So it, it's nice in some, in some ways to, to, realize that Keith Mars is only human. And you see some of that with him as, uh, in, in the, the latter half of the series, too. 
And we see that at the in the very last episode as Jake Kane becomes involved. I, I love the almost Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, or Yosemite Sam dynamic that exists between Jay Kane and Veronica Mars. Like, every time he sees Veronica Mars, he just knows that something bad is going to happen, and I love that. I completely forgot that he was in this, this season at all. Like, I did not remember any of that. It literally looks like they took him right off the street and just put him in an episode, because he looks very disheveled. <laughs> yeah, he's been, he's been through a lot, that, that poor man. Right. Uh, I also love the cameo by the principal. Like, he's literally in, like, three seconds, and he's just getting hit by paintballs. Also another great moment from season three. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, so I think we should talk about uh, some of the main plot lines. Of course, we first need to address the rape case, which I think is hashtag problematic in, in many ways. I think the way that this is handled... Watching it with 2019 eyes, I think you can certainly see a lot of the issues that exist on both sides. I think the way that Veronica and and her morality as far as how women should behave has is kind of been questioned in the in the first couple of episodes that we've been talking about. And the way that the, the kind of feminist side is portrayed is very stereotypical in a way. And I think uh, I, I really I gave you the chasing Amy metaphor to explain this. And I think that that ultimately is kind of the best way uh, to put it because they, they come off as very man Haiti and, and I understand some of the frustration, but I think in a lot of ways there's, they also do this fake out with the rape possibly not happening or not being real. And then in fact, it is revealed that there is a rapist on campus. And I don't know, it, watching this, if it, it, I was, I felt kind of gross watching it at times. And I'll give I'll give Rob Thomas a little bit of credit because he even admits like this is uh, something that went more incorrectly than he thought it would in the sense that and, and he even admits this like I thought this and I was wrong in that first first he was like I want a new villain that isn't another like rich white male and but he he like the same complaints you have are the complaints that the fans had back in 2006 and 2007. The, the portrayal of the Lilith House is very stereotypical, does not speak to feminism in a very kind way, and when you find out that uh, one of the three characters, Claire, had faked her rape, um, doesn't put them in the best light either. But in a lot of ways, he thought, well, I have Veronica. That's She's sort of my Teflon against any kind of anti-feminist remarks that the show receives, and that is not the case. So that was sort of like a lesson learned for him, too, where... You know, that might be a little bit pig-headed for Rob Thomas to have thought that, but at least he can look at it with some hindsight and see, like, I can understand the criticisms for, for, for like, everything you saying being valid. Right, and I think that what what makes this so much more problematic is obviously the way that things have evolved over the course of the last 12 years, and I think it makes the episodes just uncomfortable to watch at times and not as memorable. I think if, if, I were, to add, if you were to ask me to apply a number, I would say season one and two are either like eight or nines out of tens, and for me, especially this first half, it's like a lot of the episodes fall into that five or six out of ten range, and I think it's very frustrating because there was such a momentum to those first two seasons where as soon as it would end, like even though I had seen the first two seasons, two, two seasons I really wanted to go to the next one, and there, there were definitely times with season three where 
I either needed to take a break or I just really didn't want to go to the next episode because I really wasn't as as into some of the storylines and a, a lot of what was going on. And I don't know if that is necessarily the fault of kind of going with this, this less cohesive storylines and things like that, or if it's just a case of Rob Thomas not being able to handle the transition well, or if it's just a matter of those first two seasons were lightning in a bottle. And it's it's hard to do 22-episode seasons like this, and as as has been shown, because almost nobody outside of the major networks do that anymore. So it's interesting you say that, because I feel like I, I enjoyed this season more on rewatch than I was expecting. And I think part of that is what you spoke to at the very beginning, is that there's more standalone episodes that don't necessarily flow into one another. So a lot of them stand out more. A lot of them have like a special guest star for that episode only. So I think because of the, of of them being so insular in some ways, I think there's to me and, and, and just general better acting. There's more, maybe not more, but there's a lot of strong standalone episodes. And then there are maybe, stronger moments as there are in the previous two seasons you know some stories be damned but I do but there were but there were I I, like I understand there's some fatigue especially in like a heavy something like the rape case or even some of the the love stuff just not landing so well but there was a lot of of acting moments and a lot of singular episodes that didn't so much stray into those that I really enjoyed more than I thought I would um I'm still annoyed at some of the loose hanging threads at the end of the season, which I know we're going to talk about at the end here. Um, but even like the the introduction of the the second storyline, the murder of the dean, uh, I really liked because and maybe it's just because that I love Ed Bagley Jr. so much. But I thought him, it was almost sad to see him get murdered because I really enjoyed what he brought to the table in the first half of the season. So one of the things that this uh, the show gets wrong is that there is not a catch all dean at any university. Yes, that bugged me too. <laughs> uh, there are like 16 deans that work at any given university because just, that's just how it works. But we'll we'll, we'll just we'll acknowledge that criticism and move on because... It's like an Animal House kind of dean, in a way. Yes, except Ed Bigley Jr. did not put anyone on double secret probation. Instead, he got double dead. <laughs> he got double drunk and watched a lot of boxing. Uh, which is also a pretty random fact. I don't know. It just it it doesn't feel like he would be as into boxing as he is. I don't know. That, that's 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 a nitpick though. I think Ed Bigley Jr. is awesome, and I think he really adds a lot, especially to the early parts of the season. And even if some of the episodes don't individually work, I think some of the scenes that he has uh, with Kristen Bell are very good. Kristen Bell. It's weird. I've never really felt some of the chemistry with her and a lot of the people that she is supposedly interested in from a romantic perspective. I ultimately think that the best people that she has chemistry with are either women or older actors. And I think you know where I'm going with this because I think her interplay with Keith is great. I think her interplay with Dean O'Dell is great. And of course, Michael from The Good Place, tons of great stuff. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that, like, of crossing shows. But, yes, her with Ted Danson on The Good Place is really, really excellent. And I'll be honest, like, forget all the other romantic relationships. For me, the relationship between Dean O'Dell and Weevil is my favorite relationship of season three. 
I think that is that is also a very underrated one, and it's very surprising because you expect Weevil to not be this way and to not have a good relationship with somebody like that, but I think it works out ex- extremely well, and it's uh, it's unfortunate when Dino Dell has to go away, and I think the just the episode where they kind of expose the whole thing and expose the murder. And, I mean, it's just, it's probably the show at its best, that particular episode, when they slowly unravel this whole story and who was involved. And I think this really makes the case for why nobody should ever send their child to Hearst. Are you talking specifically about where, like, Veronica Mars reveals that Tim Foyle was the murderer? Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments of the show, I think, is that. And I like that they brought back the actor. uh, Oh, gosh, what was the name of the character he played in season two? Uh, He was like the deranged um, janitor at the high school who also had like um, like a pass with Steve Gutenberg. Okay, well, either way, the actor is James Jordan who plays him. Oh, uh, Lucky, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, So they brought back the actor James Jordan to play Tim Foyle here, and they gave him a ridiculous wig and some facial hair and some glasses so you wouldn't even notice. Uh, But what I like about it is they mentioned that they they just really liked him as Lucky in season two and wanted to bring him back for something in season three, and they had this character in mind. But And uh, the justification... Rob Thomas is, I guess they did this in the show Deadwood. I've never seen Deadwood, but I guess there was an actor that they recycled for another character too, who had been killed and brought back in another role. And that was really enough justification they had to do to bring him back as, as Tim Foyle here. And I think he did a really good job as the, the, the TA for uh, Patrick Fabian's character. Uh, And (laughs) the name Tim Foyle is also a complete mistake. They like had him as just foil in the script because it ends up being Veronica's foil. And they just thought, hey, Tim Foyle kind of sounds like Tin Foyle. Ha ha, let's make that his name. And that was the birth of Tim Foyle. I like those things where it's like there isn't like a lot of thought process and, and really just these granular details to something. Something just gave him a light chuckle and they decided to go with it. Tim Foyle is, uh, is a very good joke that it took me a little while to figure it out, but I, I eventually got it. There's another one of those, too, where the... Um, the scientist in the episode with who um, who uh, shocked the monkey, I think is the name of the episode, uh, where he where he ends up being the one who apprehended the monkey for himself personally. His name is like Gil Thomas Party or Gil T Party. Wow, they they really uh, there's some real deep cuts on this uh, on this show. Yes, and fun fact that episode because uh, it deals a lot with animal rights and things like that. That was the one script that apparently Kristen Bell vetted because. It is a cause that she very firmly believes in, and she just wanted to make sure that both sides were portrayed accurately. And that was something – this is this is what I thought was interesting, though, too. It was basically – they didn't want to pick a side either. They kind of want to just portray the facts from either side and let the audience take a, a choice. But rewatching it, uh, Rob Thomas felt that the, the really the only part of the episode that made it seem like they were leaning one way or the other was the performance by the monkey at the end because it is – how can you how can you not love the little monkey at the end? Uh, so he thought that was really the only way they did it. But I thought that was very interesting that that was the really the only the only script that Kristen Bell wanted a little bit of either re- revision or looking over before going with it. It wasn't like she co-wrote the episode or anything, but it was just taking a look to make sure that everything was uh, was copacetic from her end. 
Yeah, I think that's, I think that it is a very sensitive topic. And I think doing that is, is a positive thing. Cause I think that that episode actually came, comes off really well. And I think there's a lot of depth to it. And that is probably my second favorite episode of the season. Yeah. And, and they even mentioned that there's a lot of, it feels like a very political season in a lot of respects between the rape stuff, that episode. And they, and they did say the one episode where they were very specifically political was the invisible children episode that we touched upon being your favorite of the season. Yes, and we will we'll probably get into that a little bit more shortly. But the final kind of plot line, it the the season really kind of fizzles out at the end. Even though I love, I know what you'll do next summer, but it's like there really is no main plot line except for the fact that Keith decides to run for sheriff, and we get Veronica's sex tape, and we get basically a skull and bones equivalent is exposed on Hearst College. And this is definitely a trope of shows that take place in college where there is a secret society. And there was a secret society where they went to high school at Neptune. But this is definitely something that you see in a lot of college TV shows and movies where there is some sort of secret society that is running everything. And I think it it, it needed a lot more development instead. You just kind of got this last episode where they're just kind of throwing things at the wall, and it just, it felt very half-baked. Yeah, I would would definitely agree with that. Um, And it Show Me the Monkey was the episode I was thinking of, but yeah, it is kind of interesting. It's it's like a tale of two seasons in in some ways. Right, the first half of the season, as far as the ratings go, went, were pretty decent, and then it kind of fell off a cliff, and I'm not sure why that was the case, you just don't know with things like this, but by the end of season three, it was almost becoming interminable for them to continue this show, and perhaps in an era with streaming and with things like that, then you would be able to see a show like this come back, as it certainly has in other forms, but... At this point, to put it on the CW for a fourth season would have been really hard. And we'll get into kind of the, the potential ideas for season four uh, when we talk next month. But I think there are a number of different places where the uh, we've talked about kind of the, the problematic elements of the show. And one of the episodes that I was very concerned about rewatching uh, was the episode Un-American Graffiti, where there is kind of a discussion of a hate crime And I think that was an episode that I was always very concerned about, especially because issues of, uh, you know, Muslims and things like that, especially in 2007, let alone 2019, were very much discussed. And I think that I think the show handled it with with about as much sensitivity as one would expect. And I think it's just really unfortunate that a lot of other network shows weren't doing the same thing. And I think the one thing I can say for Veronica Mars is that at least it tries to address contemporary issues on network television. And even so, that's something that really, really does not get addressed very well on a lot of current network programs. To some extent, I agree with that. But also, I feel like it was an issue that they just didn't even need to address. Because if you look back at that episode, they wanted to do the moment where Keith is it like fires half of the department for not enforcing fake IDs at bars. And they needed the moment where Veronica and Piss kiss and they have the birthday party for Parker to instigate that. And then they were like, well, how else are we going to fill up the rest of this episode? And then they decided to go with sort of a, a television trope at that time, given the, the temperature of the country still. 
and it just kind of felt like you could have filled that time with anything else. I can understand that. I think that that I think that that is part of the 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 issue with kind of the way that this Frankenstein season is put together with different elements coming together and you know Keith running for sheriff and they were clearly going for for that storyline and I'm curious to know how that would have all paid off but I don't know I think for me the biggest problem with Keith running for sheriff was ultimately that his opponent was Vincent Van Lowe and the idea of Vincent Van Lowe as sheriff is just almost too absurd for me to contemplate (laughs) it's a little too absurd to contemplate but boy wouldn't you have loved to see that play out I mean, if the show becomes a sitcom, then yes, but if I'm going to take this seriously as a drama, I don't know if I think that would have been good. Well, I mean, insert political comment about our current climate here. I'll let you do that, but we get to see Don Lamb be really repulsive in this season. Like, he's been bad in the first two seasons, but he gets added to the opening credits, and I mean, he's just... He's so terrible, like, and there isn't even any one thing that I could say is particularly awful, but my goodness, is he just, he's just the worst. Yeah, there's not even, like, that moment where he had in season two where he's busting Meg's parents for being awful to her sister. Uh, He's just no redeeming qualities to him whatsoever in season three. And I feel like he gets that main cast credit and then is featured significantly less in season three. Or, Or maybe not... Which is which is always amusing to me. Yeah, maybe not significantly less, but definitely less than season two. Well, I think what what makes him such a repulsive character, I mean, he slut James Parker in, like, one of her first scenes. That is certainly awful. <laughs> that is, uh, that is like, I mean, that's not even, like, the worst thing, but I think that that is just representative of some of the problems. Uh, one of the things that we have not really talked about throughout our run of these first three seasons is we have not really talked about Dick Casablancas very much, and I think we've talked about him in terms of being comedy relief, but he actually gets some pathos in what I'm going to call my favorite episode of the season, which is where they deal with the invisible children, but there is also a subplot involving Dick Casablancas and his father, and we finally get... Dick Hasselbeinke is not acting like a monster. And I don't know, the fact that he has become such a popular character is is bizarre to me because he's very rapey throughout the entire three-season run of this show. And it's only really in this episode where we get to know him at all beyond just surfing or going after girls or doing whatever he's doing as far as alcohol or drugs goes. But here, you know, he talks about what he did to his younger brother, and they are kind of reckoning with the fact that, you know, Big Dick is going to jail, and Cassidy was a murderer and a rapist, and it, it felt like this was the episode where the Casablancas finally got got to do something beyond just being kind of foils. And I And I do wonder if that's why so many people think so fondly of Dick, is that this is kind of the last memory of him you have of this show. It's, and then you think about what did he do in season one and two, and you kind of remember maybe some one-liners or a funny, dumb thing he did. But really what you remember is that you do get this moment of pathos where he does have this inner turmoil over feeling bad for bullying his brother and maybe feeling partially responsible for his suicide and all this stuff. So in the end, you get this moment of pathos, and maybe because that's like in the last three episodes, that looms largely in people's memories more than all the other terrible stuff that he did. I'm sure being handsome doesn't hurt either. Right, that certainly does not hurt his cause. 
But I, I think what I really appreciated about that episode was just the multiple fakeouts that they did and the fact that the guest star got one over on Veronica in this case and was able to kind of manipulate her. And so often we see Veronica being the smartest person in the room. And I think in this one specific instance, in this one specific case, I like that Veronica was kind of wrong and it was portrayed that she was wrong. And I think at this point in 2007, there was kind of a run of biographies that were perhaps embellished or faked accusations like this were definitely making the rounds and I think that they played with this in a really good way and I really really appreciated kind of this this plot line and I will point out that there is an actor who was on this episode I believe his name is pronounced Edie Gathedji he was in X-Men First Class and he has legitimately the worst death death in that franchise (laughs) I think he was he the father or was he Apollo in what in in Veronica Mars uh, that actor, he was the he was the best friend. Oh, the best friend. Okay, so he wasn't either of them. Okay, because one of those actors, I think, either like shared an agent with Kristen Bell, or maybe went to like her same acting school, and that's how they got them. But even you could tell, like Rob Thomas was blown away by by how good those those actors were in this episode. I, that's where okay, and that's where I recognized his friend from because I saw the friend. I'm like, I know him. Yeah, okay, so first class, the worst ass. Wow, that's certainly quite the the superlative to have under your resume. (laughs) The worst X-Men death of a person of color. And believe me, X-Men has quite a lot. Go listen to Superhero Pantheon for more. Hey, at least first class is a good movie. Yes, we cannot say that about all of the X-Men movies. Especially Dark Phoenix, which is a terrible movie. I don't care what Mike Thomas says. No, definitely not. (laughs) I don't know. Is he Rob Thomas's brother? All right, Kevin, you have written down some of the guest stars. Let's talk about the guest stars, and then we're going to talk about Veronica and Logan's relationship, because I think we have to give that some time. There's a lot of, of guest stars in here, uh, and I tried. To, I kind of wrote them down in order, and I probably didn't get everybody, but I, if I recognized them, they made the list. Uh, first, we, of course, start off with Patrick Fabian, who plays the... Professor who has infidelity with Dino Dell's wife. Uh, I know him best as Howard Hamlin from Better Call Saul. Probably my favorite television show currently airing. I won't even say probably. It is my favorite show currently airing. Uh, and I believe he was in Cupid, one of um, Rob Thomas's previous projects as well. You get Dan Castellaneta as the professor in the episode with the, uh, the experiment you were speaking of. And if you don't know that name... That is the voice of Homer Simpson from The Simpsons. Uh, and anytime I see him in anything, he's been in like Arrested Development and some other stuff, uh, Parks and Rec as well. It always gives me a big hoot because I'm a massive, massive Simpsons fan. And Dan Castle and it just seems like the best person. So uh, and I, I believe you texted me immediately upon recognizing him as well. I did because I, I just said in all caps, Homer. And that's exactly who it is, because it's weird that. Like, you hear the Homer voice and you expect to see someone. I would not expect to see him, just because I think he hides his voice really well, and I think he's a really good character actor. I, I genuinely think that he contributes a lot to anything, any project that he is involved in, and he can play drama and comedy, and that's not something you would expect from the voice of Homer Simpson. No, not at all. He's he's tremendous. I think he has a, a, a theater background. I think that's why he's able to... Yeah, I believe he's local to Chicago. One, one of my... F- one of my friends, who's also a huge Simpsons fan, ran into him in the theater, and I think he signed his playbill, and he said he was a very quiet, friendly person, which doesn't sound like Homer at all, which speaks to his his acting abilities 
quite well. Right. And uh, who are some of the other guest stars? We, we There's a big one toward the end of the season. There is. Well, I'm, I'm still going in order here. Uh, in part of that experiment, you mentioned Ryder Strong, best known from Sean from Boy Meets World. Sam Levine, who is on Freaks and Geeks and in Inglorious Bastards. They're on opposite sides there. We talked about Ed Bigley Jr. a lot. Uh, there's some cases where you get a special uh, guest that is probably bigger after the show happened. And I would I would certainly say that Army Hammer was one of those people who is not as big as he is today. One thing I will say about Arnie Hammer is you can definitely tell that that guy was going to be a movie star. Just based on what you saw in this show, his, the style of acting was just so different from a lot of the other kind of goofiness that you saw. And I think Arnie Hammer is, is fantastic. He's been in some very bad movies, but I think especially in supporting roles or if he's been doing indie movies, he's definitely someone that I really like watching on screen. Yes. Uh, you have Robert Richard, who I remembered as a kid from the Nickelodeon show Cousin Skeeter, but he's done a ton of stuff. Occasionally just like a one-off uh, role on shows, but uh, he's an actor who's been around for a long time. Uh, Ryan Pinkston, who was on MTV Punked. Uh, that show produced a lot of people that actually went on to do like some some big things in Hollywood. Uh, one being Dak Shepard, who is Kristen Bell's husband. Uh, he played the pizza boy in the episode that um, Veronica like intimidated into giving a, a phone number to him. You have Charles Shaughnessy, the the husband from The Nanny. He was in uh, one episode. And his uh, his wife, who was in hiding, was none other than the infamous Patty Hearst. That was quite the, the acting where I saw. I went, whoa, I was not expecting uh, just Patty Hearst to be in this episode here. No, and I think it's genuinely amazing how two of the supporting actors, uh, the one you just mentioned from The Nanny and Harry Hamlin, both went on to play minor roles in Mad Men. Well, there you go. And we're not done with Mad Men minor roles here either. Uh, uh, not that, but we have Jamie Chung, who was on The Real World and went on to be in the, uh, the the Hangover movies, at least a few of them. She's done some other big acting things as well. Jackie Tan, I, I would not have recognized, but she is the second cast member from Veronica Mars to go on to be in Glow. Uh, Fred Stoller is like a... You would have recognized him. He's a comedian. He was like the one-hour photo gentleman that Veronica went to. And then this is probably, I think, the big actor you were discussing, Paul Rudd plays a, uh, a down-on-his-luck drunk musician in one of the final episodes of season three. And I have to say, that's my favorite guest acting role from the season. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than being able to have Paul Rudd on the show. I think he's just consistently able to do so much on any given show. And it's funny, I literally watched this episode the day after I watched his, uh, his Netflix show where there were two Paul Rudds. And it's funny because on the Netflix show living with yourself. He is playing a down-on-his-luck person, and here he is also playing a down-on-his-luck person, and in Ant-Man, he's playing a down-on-his-luck person, so this is just, this is a role that he excels at, despite the fact that he never ages and is very good-looking. He just has to play the down-on-his-luck guy. Yeah, he he just seems like he's, like, the best person. And, I mean, I just think that, like, even when he's in goofy movies like Ant-Man and Avengers Endgame, like, he is able to do so much as a performer that I almost don't think he gets enough credit for just being a good actor. And I, I think you saw that in this episode as well. I think you sometimes get you get tra- caught up in some of the goofiness and some of the, some of the, you know, what he does on Conan every time he goes on Conan and whatnot, and some of the memes and the gifts and whatnot, but Paul Rudd's really good. Yeah, he's incredible. Like, and he just seems like the the best person again. So, uh, but the groupie in that episode with Paul Rudd is Suzanne Cryer, who is now who plays the character Lori in Silicon Valley, a show I know that you love. 
Love Silicon Valley. Big fan. Uh, Patrick Fischler is the other Mad Men alumni in this. He played Jimmy Barrett in uh, a few episodes of Mad Men. Yeah, it's pretty wild to see how many cast members have gone on to Mad Men from this show. And then last but not least, the uh, the one actor that I immediately recognized as Councilman Dexhart from Parks and Rec, Kevin Simons, appears in the final episode of Veronica Mars Season 3. So lots of, of guest stars, lots of notable guest stars from all different walks of acting. Yep, and I think it's I think it's time that we talk about Logan and Veronica because this is kind of one of the main cross cruxes of the season and I know that there are a lot of people out there who ship for these two and I think that this is this is kind of the season where it's make or break for me because coming into this rewatch one of the things that I wanted to observe and to find out is why is it that I am not for these two as a couple and there have been signs in season one and season two where I was just like, I don't think this is such a great idea. And I think season three, I think some of what Logan does here is is pretty awful. And I think that this season really just confirms for me just why these two should not be together. And they even talked about they even talk about multiple times throughout the season about how kind of destructive they are together and how Veronica has a certain affinity for bad boys and things like that. And, you know, I think what Logan does in cheating with Madison Sinclair, I think that is just unbelievably awful. And it's not because I think Veronica is jealous. I think it's because of what Madison did to her. I mean, it's so unbelievably bad that, it's really it's really hard for for any relationship to come back from that and they they try to be friends and then Logan beats the crap out of Piz and i think that's just unbelievably awful as well because Logan has no evidence whatsoever to suggest that Piz has has done what Logan has alleged that he did and i don't know i i just i walked away from this season really thinking about the fact that no these two should not be together this is a terrible choice yeah, there's something to even like the first part of the season, like things are going pretty OK with the two of them, I would I would say uh, like they had each other's backs, I think. And I think they were really kind of looking for what anybody is looking for, like somebody who understands and knows their faults. They knows their history and they still love them and accept them for who they are. And I think there's an admirable quality that in both of them. And then she finds out that he had sex with Madison Sinclair, who, as if you forgot, that's the girl who roofied Veronica, who led her to getting raped. And it's not as if Logan doesn't know this. He knew this and decided to have a relationship with her anyways. And I understand that they weren't together at the time. So it's not like he cheated on her or whatever else. But but he, but the, he still they still care about each other, even in that time when they're not together. And that, to me, is something where even Veronica says, like, we're, we're out of each other's lives. And I think that is a completely valid response and way to act. And I do wish, like, that, that to me is something that you can't get over. That is something way too big for them to easily forgive and forget. And she even says that, you know, hey, this is, it's not even like, hey, I need some time to think about this. Like, we need some distance from each other. She's like, we are officially done forever as friends or anything else. And I and again, that's where I was kind of hoping it was going to go. And then it feels like they got back together pretty easily. Like they both did their own kind of relationship things. Her with Piz, him with, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember her name. 
She's with Parker. Yeah, see, that's how memorable she is. And like he was pretty easy to go from them being so like madly deeply in love with each other to finding somebody else. So it made me not really believe that their relationship was that strong to begin with. If they're saying these words to each other about how much they love each other, there's nobody else out there for them and nobody else who understands themselves. And then once they break up, they fairly easily and sure, maybe there's something to, to the rebound effect with falling in love with somebody else and getting together with them. And then coming back together, didn't like how do you go from I'm never going to forgive you to this to forgiving him in not a lot of time? It it was just a very hard disconnect as a viewer. I think this is a byproduct of going to the CW because this is something that happens on a lot of CW shows where they will say these things and they will do these big dramatic actions and behaviors and then it's either forgotten about or addressed briefly in the next couple episodes and we're kind of back to the will they or won't they and I think that this is not just an issue that I've seen on Veronica Mars but it's an issue that I've seen on a lot of the CW DC shows as well this is something that just happens and I think a lot of it has to do with these soap opera elements and that's why I think Veronica Mars ultimately on on the surface you would think oh this is the perfect show for the CW it's about young people you have this a very very attractive lead in Kristen Bell who I I am a firm believer that this is the only reason that this show was brought over to the CW was because they knew that they had something in Kristen Bell and they knew that she was going to be a star and she was the type of person that they wanted as the centerpiece of a show and this was kind of an easy way to do it and I think Kristen Bell does a spectacular job I think she's very good regardless of the quality of the season I think she does a really good job, but I think the problem is is that they were still trying to force-feed the Logan and Veronica relationship, and based on what happened in the first two seasons, this was always going to be kind of a tough thing to shoehorn, because they had already been through so much, and Logan's behavior at times has been very erratic, and I think you see that a lot again in season three. You see this erratic behavior. And I think ultimately that's why I come down on not not necessarily being a fan because ultimately this this is not it's just it's not going to work. And the other thing that I really didn't like is even the relationships they got into afterwards. Like it drove me mad in the last few episodes where everybody's getting these great opportunities like Piz has this internship for a radio network and another internship like as a as writing for like a rock magazine or something. And Veronica is gets she she ends up getting the internship with the FBI. That's kind of something else that was discussed. Was that's that's now her dream job is working for the FBI. Uh, her professor has this in, and there's this internship that she applies for, and she gets it. And all Piz can do is woe about how they're going to be apart for the summer instead of being happy a for himself and b for her. And then you kind of get the same thing going on with with Parker and Logan, where she's going to be away all summer. Logan's fine with that because he's already got the surfing plan planned with uh, with Dick and all they can do and all she can do is mope about how they're going to be apart for a summer. Like, I get it. They're college kids. That's probably a normal thing, but they can't even be happy for their significant others and the great things they're going to be doing this summer. I mean, I know Veronica is thrilled that Piz has these awesome opportunities for his career, but all he, but like the, the first thing he says when she says she got the FBI job is like, oh, that's in Virginia, right? Like, F off. Like, the, just no relationships in this made me feel like I was I was happy for any of the parties involved or that these were, like, awesome, great, healthy relationships. Like, ugh, it was so annoying. And these are also, rel- these are also relatively new relationships. You, 
I, I mean, I can understand if they were together for a, a significant amount of time, but these still seem relatively new, maybe a couple months at the most. I mean, what kind of a commitment are you asking for here? I mean, it's just one of those things where I think you can handle a few months apart. I mean, you're all going back to the same college in a few months. You can survive some time apart. It's college. Or, yeah, or even, hey, you know, planes exist. Maybe go visit each other once a month on either coast. And then, boom, you're back in college and things are great again. And there's also Skype. Skype's a thing, even in 2006, 2007. Telephones, uh, the written word, smoke signals, birds with little scrolls attached to their claws. I I want, you see, now I want to see the spinoff with Veronica and Piz where they communicate through stool pigeons. Yeah, but wouldn't that be wonderful? I I feel like that's a very noir thing to do. (laughs) I I think so, too. Um... (laughs) So yeah, I just I walk away not not feeling really good, and I, I I just wonder is is this a is this a weakness of Rob Thomas himself being able to write relationships? Because I feel like when I was watching I Zombie the first couple seasons, I feel like this was kind of a problem that that show had as well. It's possible. It could just be that he also has problems with romantic relationships. Because like I said, I think there's a lot of platonic ones that we're big fans of, and even like the older romance with um with Keith. Like that's one that's that's really fun to watch develop, and even you know with uh, um, I don't remember the character's name, but it was Wallace's mom in a couple seasons. That was a pretty good relationship too, you know. And maybe it's that Keith Morris was involved that I have some bias towards that, but maybe it's just that he's a bit out of touch with with teenagers and how exactly those relationships go or what have you, or just maybe overthinks them to to an extent, but. Yeah, none of, there's not really a, a lot of romantic relationships I can think back in Veronica Mars and think like, man, those were awesome. I guess Mac's uh, one with um with uh, Mac, uh, what well, the boy that she was with who was not named Max. That one was pretty good. Yeah, and then the Max relationship just got weird. Just got so weird. Uh, and even the the Max episode where he has the where he's with the girl who was the the stripper that he frees from her pimp. Uh, and that's another, <laughs> and that's a funny one too, because the pimp turns out is, turns out to be a female. That's kind of like a fun reveal thing. And then like either that same week or the week after is the episode where she plays a stripper on the office. So I, I don't know what it says about that actress, but that she has that energy where they hire her as a stripper and then a pimp. But, uh, that's, that's a pretty funny little factoid too. A lot of, a lot of shaming of sex workers in that episode, which I don't think is very good. Gotta love it. All right, let's let's talk about the final episode. I think talking about that specifically because there is no definitive ending. We don't ultimately find out what happens in the sheriff's race. It's kind of implied what is going to happen, but this last episode, it feels like they're kind of throwing a lot of things at the wall. And again, because we don't really have that consistent storyline to take us through the whole season, it doesn't feel like everything is wrapping up as well. So I, I really walked away not feeling good about this this third season for that reason and it just it it feels like and I don't know what Rob Thomas had to say in the commentary maybe you can lend some perspective to this but it feels like Rob Thomas kind of threw a temper tantrum kind of threw this last episode together and just purposefully tried to not end things in a satisfying way and ultimately kind of screws over the fans in a way by not having a definitive ending to things I didn't hear anything about that specifically and I and I partially wonder if it's not so much that or I wonder if they thought that there was some confidence in maybe being picked up 
again by another network or something, and he just thought, well, just in case, let's do this and have some loose ends. Or maybe he thought ahead about, like, or I could always do novels or something else. So, uh, but if it's me, I'm trying to wrap up stuff, and it really is these last episodes where the the sheriff's race is coming up for the election, the special election. You get the sex tape with Veronica and that linking to Jay Kane and the castle and all that other stuff. And that's all really all thrown in you in the last couple episodes. And there's not enough time at all, especially with the sex tape and the castle stuff to digest it all before the series is over. No. And it's, and it's unfortunate because I think that this deserved, it deserved justice, especially if you're going to bring back the Canes. I mean, the Canes are such an important part of these first two episodes and the fact that they just kind of throw him in at the end. I mean, it was nice to see him, but ultimately I'm not sure like what, what greater purpose this all served. And, you know, things don't really end well with Veronica and Logan in a good place either. And yeah, I just, I, uh, I have very mixed feelings about the ending of this, of this first run of the series. And I think there are kind of some long-term ramifications for, for the choices that they made. I agree. Like, and that's the other thing is like, we talk about maybe that what Dick's final stuff is makes him more positively thought of in hindsight. The last thing that we really see with Logan and Veronica is that Veronica is Logan beats up his because he thinks he's the one who made the sex tape. He didn't, by the way. And so he just beat up his for no reason. And then when he finds out who really did it, Veronica says, hey, don't beat him up. And then he just goes and does it anyway. So he just didn't listen to her and did whatever he wanted to do. So how are we supposed to like this couple? Yeah, I just I don't know. It's how do, uh, how do they like each other is the big question. I mean, I can understand why they, they have such a deep connection because, I mean, he did kind of save her life at the end of season two. And there are other instances where he has helped her like and there's the and there's the shared trauma of, of Lily being killed and all that stuff. Right. And there's the fact that, you know, Veronica almost gets raped twice in this season, which we really didn't talk about. And I think that's kind of problematic unto itself. The fact that she gets her hair cut in one episode and is drugged and then in the very next episode is also drugged. I, I, I don't know. I have I have very mixed feelings about the execution of season three and I I, I don't know how I would have felt about a season four. I think making some significant changes, moving Veronica away from Neptune, I think almost would have been a positive thing. But at at this point, we kind of just kind of have to assess the first run of the show for what it is. And I, I ultimately walk away thinking the first season is almost perfect. Season two has more flaws, but... I think in a way it's it's more even more compelling than season one and season three just kind of ends with a thud instead of with a ton of momentum that made me feel really good about kind of these first three seasons. Yeah, and I think even getting rid of Dean Odell as as in really kind of in some ways, I think the lack of Egg Bakley Jr. kind of hinders part of the second half of the season because to me I really enjoyed watching Keith and his relationship I like watching the Odell stuff both his wife and that and then all of that's done before before the second half and even you know there's like seeing Keith as sheriff again is kind of fun because you're like that's a spot he deserves Uh, and there's some fun standalone episodes like I know what you'll do last summer in the Paul Rudd episode but yeah, just the the general stuff with the relationships and the way it ends definitely is not very satisfying. And I think if anybody were go is going into this show 
you know, and that's and that's at least I'm at least glad that I got that disclaimer from my roommate when I watch. He was, hey, season three ends on a cliffhanger. Don't be angry. You already know that going in. And I and I proceeded as knowing with that. And it uh, I guess maybe it may be a little less mad. But now that I'm watching it all all over again, it's still like, man, this is this is the end of the show. Really? Like, that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, and it turns out it would not be the end, but at the time it definitely was. So not great. So the TV industry literally changing before our very eyes, the way things work, changing before our very eyes. We are going to enter a whole new era of Veronica Mars as the story continues with a movie that probably shouldn't have happened, but it did happen seven years after the show was canceled by the CW, and that is what we are going to talk about next month, Kevin. We are going to talk about the Veronica Mars movie that was partially fan-funded by Kickstarter, and we are also going to talk about a couple of ancillary stories that you can probably talk about more than I can. Yeah, so there were... so, And I'll, and I'll talk about the order of things, too. So the movie comes out in early 2014... Uh, so like Kickstarter people, I think it comes out a little bit later, but then there's two novels that are written by Rob Thomas himself, uh, the thousand dollar tan line and Mr. Kiss and tell that are both canonical. And of course they're written by Rob himself and they pick up directly where the movie leads off. So we're going to be reading both of those. Uh, they're available on audible. If you're an audiobook type of person, you can still purchase them through Amazon if you want, or, uh, check your local libraries, support your libraries, folks. I know we are going to be doing that. Uh, there's also a mini series that aired on the CW or CW Seed, which may have been like their digital platform at the time or like their digital partner called Play It Again, Dick. It is an eight episode series that centers on Dick Casablancas. It is also canonical to the Veronica Mars universe. Each episode's about between eight to 12 minutes. You can purchase it on Amazon and some other places. So I think iTunes has it. So I'm going to be purchasing and watching this, watching that anyways. And there's, uh, a couple of special features on the season three DVD I did not watch that discusses what would have been a season four at the time that I know heavily focuses a lot on Veronica as part of her FBI internship. So I'll watch those talk about what was, you know, there's a part that shows like actual footage of what's filmed and then Rob Thomas talking about it. So we'll talk about that as well next before leading into the real season four. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, a heavy episode of some lighter things. So if you're going to be digesting them in the order they came out, you'd want to start with the Veronica Mars movie, go into the $1,000 tan line book, then watch Play It Again, Dick, and then read Mr. Kiss and Tell. And if you happen to have Veronica Mars Season 3 on DVD, pop on those extra features as well. But uh, this is my episode, damn it, and I get to dictate that we're going to do all this crap. Yes, we are. I would say we're probably going to spend the bulk of the episode talking about the movie itself, and we will probably spend maybe five to ten minutes on each book, would you say? I'd say so, you know, depending on, you know, the content and some and just our general thoughts. But yeah, I'm not expecting like an hour on each of them at all. But I figure, listen, if we're going to do Veronica Mars podcast, we're doing it right. Right. Just like the Lost podcast. I know that you guys reviewed all the ancillary materials associated with that as well. We sure did. The video game, the ARGs, a bunch of other fun stuff in that Lost universe. So I figure if I'm really going to immerse myself in this world, I'm going all in, at least with the stuff that is legitimate, authorized, canonical stuff. So we have two episodes left. We have next month where we're reviewing a potpourri of stuff between the movie, the books, the miniseries, and then we have just one episode left. The month of January 2020, we will be reviewing Veronica Mars Season 4, 
And one of the things that I'm hoping for, Kevin, is I want to know if there's going to be a Veronica Mars Season 5. We are on Episode 3, and we still don't know, as of this recording, whether there's going to be a Season 5 yet. We still don't know, although this week, uh, Veronica Mars Season 4 did come out on uh, like DVD and maybe Blu-ray and stuff for people who don't have Hulu. It's probably maybe able to purchase digitally, too. But what infuriates me is, and I was in the store and I saw it there, it's called The First Season of Veronica Mars. What? On the box, the complete first season, Veronica Mars, it is infuriating. Like, irrationally infuriating, I get it. It's a DVD of a television show. Get over yourself, Kevin. But really, it's it's so inaccurate. That is not the first season of the show. Not even close. Like, if they, like, changed the name, they didn't even change the name. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No, they didn't change the name or the logo. Some suit, some marketing person thought this was a good idea, and they're just wrong. They are just incorrect. I guess they didn't want to have season four in stores, and one, two, and three are nowhere to be found, because I guess they're either no longer being produced or they're not in your local retailers like that. Like this season four is going to be now. But it's very confusing if you're somebody who's trying to watch these, because you know at least on Hulu they're listed correctly, but oy vey. So, yeah, that... That's something I just want to touch on because uh, as as us nerds tend to do, we tend to overreact and get angry about things that in the long run don't matter. Right. And we'll see. We'll see what your reaction to season four is after after we after we review it. I don't know. Hey, I've I've stayed see I've stayed a uh, spoiler free uh, all this time. I don't imagine it's going to be that difficult to make it uh, another month or so. Unless I accidentally blurt it out, which. There's definitely been a couple times in these first three episodes where stuff has almost come out, but I have I have done an impressive job restraining myself. I'm very proud of you, Jerome. I'm sending you a box of cookies. Ooh, cookies. That's exciting. All right, uh, another note. So the, I, I also wanted to address the season five of Veronica Mars thing because I know it's kind of a weird thing because Warner Brothers owns the show. Season four was on Hulu, but Hulu is now majority owned by Disney, so I don't know if Veronica Mars Season 5 would go back to Hulu, or if it's going to end up on HBO Max, where a lot of Warner's properties are going to be airing, and I know that HBO Max is definitely going for a more female audience, and Veronica Mars would seem to fit into that. Hopefully this will all get figured out by the time January rolls around. So is, does, is Warner not launching their own streaming service then too? Yes, HBO Max is going to be their streaming service that starts in the spring of 2020. Ah, okay. Got it. I was I thought they were doing like another Warner Brothers thing and then HBO Max was just okay. So that all that all checks out then. And yeah, now that now that HBO Max is doing four Adventure Time things, I'm going to have to get it. I wasn't planning on it, but if that's going to be the home of New Adventure Time and Veronica Mars, I'm going to have no choice. Right. And you will get HBO stuff as well associated with that. So that'll be a good thing. And I do get HBO already, so I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. Well, you're going to probably just transfer your subscription from HBO to HBO Max and probably just pay $2 more. Oh, well, that's not so bad. Uh, and then I was going to, you know, I was almost going to say like, oh, I guess we have to see the future of um, The Good Place to see what Kristen Bell's, uh, you know, what her um, availability is. But that show's definitely ending. This We're in the final season right now. So that's not a problem at all. Yeah, I believe I believe that's all. It's it's been in the can for a couple months because I know that they tend to shoot those things in the summer and into a little bit in the fall. But yeah, that show's going to be ending in 2019. I, it's pretty funny to think about. Like we're talking about Veronica Mars and Kristen Bell, and Kristen Bell's like 
big network TV show, like probably one of the best network TV shows that's going right now is ending. And she has a voice role in what will probably be one of the biggest movies of the year in Frozen 2. I envy that bank account. I'll tell you what. Well, Dax Shepard is certainly not the one bringing home the bacon in that relationship. And you know what? I'm sure he is totally okay with that. I am sure that he is too. It seems like they seems like they have a very healthy relationship. So yeah, they uh they did um I I don't know if you listened to Conan O'Brien needs a friend his podcast, but they they did their own episodes in season one, and they just seem like really great people. All right, on that happy note, we are going to call it a day for Veronica Mars Season 3. For Kevin, my name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again next month. Okay, fine, I'll tell you. Yes, I do like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. <laughs>